going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob, hanging out talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, Bob. I, I said goodbye to a bunch of roommates over the weekend, uh, thank goodness. I uh, had a little ant problem in my apartment, and um, as hardworking as they were, uh, they were not cleaning up anything. In fact, they were making a bigger mess. Had had they like done actual chores and work, that would have been pretty cool, kind of like an Ant Man. But it was not an Ant Man situation, so I had to yeah. I had to say goodbye to them. That'd be pretty cool if you had that helmet. You could talk to ants. But oh, that that would be awesome. I, I actually I was thinking about that the whole time. I would be like, man, if I only I had that that thing that they use to talk to them, I I, I would I I would be very happy with that situation. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, uh, you, you, you pushed me way out there. I'm not really sure how to segue back to, uh, <laughs> basketball with that, but, uh, Chris, we are now, uh, talking about an even series in the Eastern conference finals two to the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, drawing the, the drawing it even, uh, on Sunday night with, a pretty solid win over the Celtics. I uh, got a little close at times in that second half, but uh, Celtics never really led uh, and the Cavs were able to push that lead out uh, well into double digits at times and then a blowout in game three. Uh, that's following two uh, really bad losses in Boston, a game one blowout and then a, a seven point lead at half blown uh, by the Cavs for a 13 point loss in that game too. So Chris, we now are down to a, a three game series. Two games will be played in Boston with game seven in Boston and then game six in Cleveland. What is your analysis of the previous three games uh, since we've last talked uh, of, of this Eastern conference finals? Well, my analysis is that if you are a casual basketball fan, uh, these have not been very fun games to watch uh, because it, it's been very one-sided despite the two, two tie um, the games in Cleveland have gone Cleveland's way. I, I think they've trailed maybe once or twice in Cleveland. And the games in Boston have predominantly gone Boston's way. The only exception is that game two you mentioned where the Cavs had a big lead and then blew it in the third quarter and Boston rolled them in the fourth. I mean, that that was really the only kind of turning point in any given game. I mean, from from... And in, in, in the other three games, whoever's won that first quarter and jumped out early has gone on to basically win the game without too much drama. I expect that to change in Game 5. There's an old saying. There are two old sayings. A series doesn't start when a team loses on the road. Excuse me. A series doesn't start until a team loses on the road or a team is facing elimination. I would add the a tied series entering a Game 5 uh, it's game on time. I expect a very intense game five. It's often the most pivotal game in a tied series. Usually the team that wins game five goes on to win the series. Because if you're in the Cavs situation and not having that game seven in your back pocket, there's motivation to avoid game seven on the road. And obviously the Celtics don't want to lose home court. So um, I expect a, a the most... I expect a very even, intense game, probably down to the wire for Game 5. Um, but but so far, it has not been a very exciting series to watch. 
Yeah, I believe it's a, a series does not start until a team loses at home, uh, so that the road team wins. Um, but yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, it, it's a reset, right? We we had pretty virtually, you know, I think game four was the smallest margin of victory with a nine point victory, um, and, and you know th- these have generally been uh, easy easy wins for the home team. Uh, now we reset. Uh, we have a four game history now uh, we, we've seen adjustments and readjustments and further adjustments uh, it, it, it truly is a new series I think that Ty Lue, uh deserves some credit for sticking with Tristan Thompson reinserting Larry Nance uh, into the rotation uh, and both those guys uh, have stepped up hugely uh, in, in those two wins at home I, I think the Cavs um, you know game two to me uh, was quite a low point, and I was very concerned with the uh, with w- with the future of this series uh, in doubt. Uh, the way they blew that lead, uh, not just blew it, but then you know they blew the lead, and then they allowed the Celtics to to virtually blow them out. <laughs> you know, to 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 have a lead, to blow it, and then to lose by thirteen points uh, all in one half is uh, pretty. Impressive way to lose a game, especially when when LeBron James is going to put up forty plus points in that game. So uh, I thought that might have been the backbreaker for the Cavs. I I didn't think they were going to get swept. I thought they would certainly win a game at home, but uh, the way they came out in Game Three, uh, racing off to to a quick lead in the first quarter and then never relinquishing that lead. Uh, you know, I, I think they learned some things and learned some things that would work. First, they 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 learned. Uh, just how to key in uh, onto the Celtics offense. And I believe that they identified Al Horford as the linchpin to it and, and sticking Tristan Thompson as much as they could on him, uh, playing much more physical off the ball, uh, limiting what the guys could do, uh, the Celtics players could do in terms of cuts and screens uh, and, and movement. Uh, I think all that can translate on the road. Um so, so I think it, it was a learning experience for the Cavs at home to figure out just how to beat this Boston team. They also have the confidence going into game five, Chris, uh, of, of, of having a lead on the road against the Celtics, something that the Celtics didn't weren't able to achieve at all in games three and four. You know, the Cavs did lead Boston for an entire half in, in game two. Um, I, I think the Cavs uh, have to be feeling... Uh, very good about their chances heading into this game five matchup. Yeah, and for all you nitpicky stat guys out there, we know Boston probably led three to two in the first quarter. That's not what Bob meant when the Celtics didn't have a lead in game three and four, a significant one. Get off our case, seriously. But yes, I agree with everything you just said. And game two was exceptionally disheartening because LeBron had 42, 10, and 12. But let's not forget Kevin Love had 22 and 15. That's a monster outing from Kevin Love. 9 of 18 from the field. And they lost by 107 to 94. Like, if you gave me those two stat lines, I would have think that the Cavs won by 13, not lost by 13. That, that was the crazy part of game two was that not only did you get a big LeBron game, but you had Kevin Love playing like a beast and you still couldn't win the game. So that 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 was very concerning. And and and, and I agree with you, Bob. Ty Lue is not getting enough credit. Throughout this entire playoffs, I think he's coached very well. Uh, you know, Indiana, he held that thing together, made some key adjustments, and, and and honestly, without him, they lose the series. 
Toronto, yeah, it was a sweep, but but he put Kevin Love at center despite me and, and a lot of people cautioning him against playing Kevin Love against Jonas Valanciunas, and it paid off big. And now just to go back to Tristan Thompson again, inserting Larry Nance Jr. after him losing his job in Game 7 and being, not playing almost at all in Tor- against Toronto, to go back to him against Al Horford and really take him out of the game in, in Cleveland. I mean, he only had seven points in Game 3. Two of four from the field. Bob, that's their best player, arguably, and he only went two for four. Game four improved, but he went five of 13, only 38.5% from the field for 15 points, but they were not as impactful as perhaps the um, you know 20 and 15 he got in Boston, even though he still shot 38% in Boston. Uh, he did have 10 rebounds. Uh, so Tristan Thompson has been outstanding ever since he's reclaimed that that role in Game 7 against Indiana and is proving to be Al Horford's kryptonite, man. When, when he's on the floor, Al Horford is just a different person. And, and the Cavs, as you said, main adjustment has been hound Al Horford. And so far, the Boston Celtics have not been able to draw anything up to negate that. Um, I would expect that, that that's going to be a main priority for Brad Stevens and the Celtics uh, going into Game 5 is to get this guy going because you know when, when he's involved and when he is making an impact, it does make things easier on those guards who, by the way, disappeared in Cleveland compared to George Hill, another guy who stepped up big with 13 points in each of his last two games. And just, just very, very, I hate this word, but aggressive off the dribble, attacking the basket, and Bob, how sad is it that Kyle Korver uh, had more blocks than Al Horford? Uh, three blocks in Game Four—that was pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it was inspiring. I think for the the Cavs to see, I think he's 37, 37 year old Kyle Korver hitting the deck, uh, chasing down a, a a loose ball halfway through the court, you know, blocking. Uh, multiple shots uh, against you know 20 year old Jalen Brown a, a springy athlete so um, that very impressive and, and defensive you know highlights aside Kyle Korver has been almost lights out I think he you know went the course of a game in three quarters without missing a single field goal he, he's been pivotal coming off the bench bench and, and providing some uh, much needed offense um, yeah George, George Hill certainly uh, has stepped up but I agree Chris I mean uh, Tristan Thompson, you know, the the Thompson at Horford matchup is has swung the series and, and is pivotal to the Cavs continuing their success. It, it, it's worked uh, in, in all three previous postseasons as well. Uh, Al Horford is a great player and has made All Star teams. He's not for his size and for his position is not the best of rebounders. Tristan Thompson is that, and he can exploit that. Uh, I think uh, you touched on his Al Horford's offensive numbers, but Horford also only garnered one assist uh, in the game last night and, and uh, in game four. Um, and I think Al Horford is really the, the linchpin to their offense. He's involved in a lot of movement and a lot of passing. I know he's a big man. I don't expect him to get 10 assists, but I do expect him to be more involved in the assist uh, category than, than just getting one. So I think uh, they keyed in on that, and, and that definitely show, slowed the Boston offense down to a, a grind. That being said, this is a, a young Boston team that um, their track record throughout this postseason has shown that 
they are a very different team at home than they are on the road. And a lot of these young guys, uh, former role players now inserted into starting roles, are, are much more comfortable performing it and stepping up in, in game five. So I do think it's going to be a different Boston team that we're going to see, but I don't think that should change what the Cavs are doing uh, because they uh, are keying in on Horford and then they're being very active in the passing lanes and being very physical off the ball, uh, just playing a, a lot better defense over the last two games. I think that can carry over into game five. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with you. They, they have been a very different team on the road, but they have shown signs of weaknesses at home too. I mean, Milwaukee almost got them in games one and five of their series. Philadelphia almost won that game five. It was only a two-point win for the Celtics, uh, and, and Philadelphia also almost won uh, game two, only a five-point win for the Celtics. So, And then, as you said earlier, the Cavs led an entire half in Boston in Game 2, something the Celtics weren't anywhere near close to doing in Cleveland. So Cleveland has shown that it could steal a game on the road. I, I am very confident that the Cavs will defend home court when it gets to Game 6. So I, I do expect Boston to play with a little added intensity just because you know that they know that this is a problem for them, and, and, and I don't think that they are going to want to have to face the Cavs facing elimination in Cleveland uh, in Game 6 on Friday. So th- that's why I think that this Game 5 <coughs> me. It is so big because I don't think the Cavs want to face a Game 7 in Boston, and the Celtics definitely don't want to lose home court. So I expect the best game of this series on Wednesday. As do I. Uh, I expect it to be very intense. I I, I think that uh, I feel a lot better about Cleveland's chances on a Game 7 on the road in a must-win game than I do about Boston's chances in a must-win game in Game 6. I think Cleveland can absorb that uh, Game 5 loss a lot easier uh, th- th- than Boston. So um, definitely expect some intensity there. Do you th- expect anything different coming from the Cavs in Game 5? No, not really. I, I I would hope that they will take the energy they played with in Games 3 and 4 on defense into Game 5 because, Bob, that defense was impossible to watch in Games 1 and 2. I mean, I, I don't think it was there, except except for the first half in Game 2. It just wasn't there. The de- They did not play defense. So I think that was the biggest adjustment in this series is that the Cavs actually started playing defense. So I think they will obviously need to continue doing that in order to win this series. Uh, I, w- I would hope that that changes in the intensity. And, and just just these guys around LeBron playing confidently. I, I think that through ever since the Indiana series, you've seen Corver and Love start asserting themselves in this offense more and now you're seeing Tristan Thompson getting his old mojo back and now you're seeing George Hill develop the aggression he had in Indiana if if all this continues in the positive direction it takes pressure off LeBron despite how many points he may score it takes pressure off of him because it puts even more pressure on that Celtics defense who as good as they are and as well coached as they are are missing that go-to alpha superstar whatever you want to call it the Cavs have two of them and if their role players are playing this strong and aggressive it's it's almost impossible for Boston to win yeah for sure uh definitely look for that growth to continue um I think you know it's pretty impressive that uh 
Kevin Love can go three for 12, nine points in foul trouble all night, and, and the Cavs can uh, coast to it to a nine-point win uh, in the playoffs. So I, I look for him to bounce back. I look for those role players to step up with their newfound confidence. I, I, I feel good. Uh, I feel a lot better <laughs> about the Cavs than I felt uh, even just a couple of days ago. So um, You, you want to know what's crazy about that? Five fouls, you still got 11 rebounds and one heck of an assist. That full-court pass was pretty awesome, man. The The catch was better because there was a triple coverage there, but, man, that was one heck of a play. Yeah, for sure. Uh, watched it in super slow-mo. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, you know, LeBron, LeBron using his high, high school wide receiver days uh, to go up above two guys, so pretty cool. Oh. All state wide receiver too. All right. Well, I am pulling for a Cavaliers win in Game Five uh, at the start of this series, though, and we haven't touched upon this. The NBA draft lottery did occur, and interestingly, uh, both these teams had some uh, stakes in, in the lottery. Boston uh, had partial ownership of a draft pick that they didn't end up collecting on, uh, but the Cavaliers had that unprotected Brooklyn pick. Uh, you know, they, they were slotted for uh, odds to be in, in the latter half of the top 10. Some folks were hoping that they would uh, have another miracle leap like they did with Kyrie Irving uh, and, and Andrew Wiggins into that top three. Didn't happen. They end up with the number eight overall pick. So, Chris, uh, I guess I have two questions for you. Uh, one, does that make the Kyrie Irving trade worth it? Uh, and two, are you ex- is there a particular player that excites you uh, potentially landing at number eight for the Cavs? Um, it's it's again, it's impossible to say if the Kyrie Irving trade was quote unquote worth it right now because the Celtics and Cavs are currently not benefiting from it in any way. You could say that the Cavs minorly are because of the four guys they got using the two guys they got from the trade for Kyrie Irving, but that's just like kind of like. I, I don't look at trades that way. I mean, they trade both of those guys away. They're not on the team. In a nutshell, that trade didn't work out for the Cavs right now. Until you select a player with the number eight pick or trade it for somebody else who, who might be better than Kyrie Irving, I don't know, um, you know, you can't really evaluate it. So I, I don't think we'll know, but, but we will know soon because the Cavs are going to either make a pick or ship that pick off and get somebody to help this team. Let's not forget Jimmy Butler just was traded last offseason, and part of that trade was that the Timberwolves sent their seventh pick for the Bulls' 16th pick. So the eighth overall pick can still get you a really good player if a team is looking to get rid of someone. Um, and, and, and you can draft a ton of guys eighth overall. Guys who have gone eighth or later include DeMar DeRozan, Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler all the way down at 30, Draymond Green in the second round. So all of those guys were available at eighth overall. It's possible to get a stud player there. Um, if projections are right and Trey Young falls all the way to eight, I would love that. I think the Cavs desperately need a point guard, and, and he is a uh, – they're saying he's kind of a Steph Curry clone, which would be fun to pair him with LeBron, give him some outside shooting and playmaker, uh, kind of replace Kyrie Irving. Um, but, but I haven't looked at the draft pool too closely yet. I don't know how feasible that is. And, and I just don't know what's out there, but 
you know, obviously it's not top three. They didn't hit the lottery, but they didn't move back. They, they're, they're right where they, were supposed, they, where they were slotted to be, eighth overall. That's where the Nets finished. And, uh, you know, it's still a top 10 pick. You could still get a really good guy or ship it for a, for a blue chip asset. So it's too early to say whether or not the Kyrie Irving trade was a failure. I, I see people online saying it was a debacle. Those people just need to stop. It hasn't played out yet until the pick is utilized. We don't know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that you know, we we will not we will not have final results uh, until uh, we know the results of this Brooklyn pick and, and who it is used on and their growth and development. Um, be it that draft player or uh, via a trade to bring in uh, veteran players. So uh, the verdict is still out uh, on the trade. Um, I think that. You know, if I were to grade it right now, which again I just said is unfair, but I, I do think uh, the Boston Celtics are, in terms of long term, have been are going to benefit more. They have the bona fide star. Uh, Cleveland has already had to trade off two of the the main asset major assets uh, of that trade, and and are stuck with this pick that probably fell a little bit lower uh, than people had hoped for or expected for at, at number eight. I think a lot of folks were hoping for a, a top five pick w- w- when they traded for this Brooklyn pick. Uh, you can still get talent, like you said. You can still, you know, that's still a very valuable asset in the trade market, as you also alluded to. Um, I am intrigued by Trey Young. Uh, I'm very intrigued by Otto Porter Jr., uh, who at one point was rated the, the best draft prospect, uh, but with his back, he, he may fall a little bit. I think that he... Could be a very interesting prospect, Trey Young. Uh, the the two Trey Youngs that we saw in uh, his one college season uh, does concern me a little bit. You saw one side which very much was Steph Curry uh, 2.0, and the second one was a guy that probably shouldn't uh, enter the NBA draft and should stick around for a couple of years. So, who is that going to be in the NBA? I don't know. That's up to Kobe Altman to decide. But um, it'll be it'll be nice. I mean the. I think that the odds are that they keep this pick, that they make the draft selection. It'll be nice to have a blue chip rookie in a Cavs uniform playing alongside LeBron James. Uh, it's been a really long time since we had that. Um, it, it, it'll be exciting. This is a deep draft class, so uh, even the, the the name recognition, it's very possible that Trey Young could be there or some other big names just because there's so much talent entering the NBA draft this year. Yeah, and that that's the one refreshing thing, Bob. If you're not going to hit the lottery, this was the year because it does look, at least on the surface, I haven't dug too deeply yet, it, it does look like it's going to be a pretty deep draft class. So I, I think that there's going to be a really good player there at eight for the Cavs to select. They need to make this pick. Uh, they can't kick the ten, can down the road. They either need to make this pick or, I mean, it's a long shot, but like if Kawhi Leonard's available or something, obviously you do that and don't blink. I don't believe those rumors or whatnot, but you get what I'm saying. Someone of that caliber comes available, then yeah, you ship the pick off. But but I don't think that's going to happen. I think they are going to make the pick. I agree with you. And Bob, Bob yeah, I agree. The Celtics got the bona fide star in that trade. But let's not forget that that bona fide star has a really bad knee. I mean, this is even before he earned it badly in the NBA Finals. The injury risk with Kyrie Irving is, to me, alarming at this point. For him to have gotten hurt again this year, his first full year of being, quote-unquote, the man and having all that pressure on his back, 
you know, maybe playing alongside LeBron James allowed him to stretch that health a little bit. Are you confident that Kyrie Irving can play a full season and postseason at this point in his career? And right now, I say I am not. So if I'm Boston, obviously you like his talent, but I am not confident that he's going to have a, a long, healthy career. Yeah, I mean, that's those are those are valid concerns. Um, I think the the verdict's still out on that. I yep. mean, he can still definitely uh, show that he, he can play a long season and, and be healthy, so we'll have to see. Um, but on evaluating it now, assuming that Kyrie Irving you know, starts opening day, uh, I would have to tip the favor of this trade uh, towards the Celtics. Yeah, and that, that's a fair assessment. Um, but but the, the reason I raised that point is because I think there's just as much uncertainty around Kyrie Irving, maybe a little less because, as you said, he has shown he can play a full season and he has shown what he can do in this league when healthy than the number eight overall pick. I, 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 I am not... 100% sure that either team is going to get exactly what they dreamt of when they made this trade. And, and only time will tell. So so you're absolutely right. We're, we're going to have to wait and see what Kyrie Irving can do if he can stay healthy. And we're going to have to wait and see if A, the Cavs can make a good pick and develop a good pick. So, so there's kind of two ifs with the Cavs, only one if with the Celtics. So I, I would definitely agree that it's tipped towards the Celtics, but still a lot of things to sort out until we uh, put a grade on this trade. Yeah. For sure. All right, we'll turn into some news now. Uh, big news coming from uh, Cleveland Indians. Josh Tomlin is moving towards to, not towards, he has been moving towards very quickly. Uh, he's moving to the bullpen, uh, and Adam Plutko will get uh, the first shot at, at replacing Tomlin as that number five starter. Uh, Plutko started May 3rd's game against Toronto and actually went uh, – into the eighth inning despite giving up three home runs so um, does have some experience he's 26 years old Chris um, thoughts on Tomlin in the bullpen and then uh, what's the the prognosis for Plutko being the long-term answer at that number five spot well if he pitched away against uh, Toronto obviously minus the home runs uh, he, he very good I mean I thought he pitched very well in his first ever major league start seven and a third innings as you said uh, looked great um, obviously, it's only his first start, so so we still have a lot to learn about Adam Plutko. But in Columbus, encouraging, he's 4-3 and three with a 2.25 ERA. Those are numbers you like to see out of a guy making his return trip to the big leagues for his second start. He will go head-to-head with John Lester on Wednesday, obviously putting him there so he can avoid the Astros' four-game stretch. But what this means, Bob, is that we will get the Trevor Bauer versus Houston matchup that we would have been denied had Josh Tomlin not moved to the bullpen. So uh, thank you, Adam Plutko, because that, that would have been a shame for Trevor Bauer to run his mouth like that and then not face the Astros in any one of the seven games that they will face the Astros in the next uh, nine days when this is all said and done. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, before we get to the Bauer thing, Josh Tomlin, I mean, everyone knew this was coming. His ERA is, you know, sky high. He's been throwing batting practice most of his starts. Uh, it's just too big of a hole to have when you have four guys pitching at the level they are. Yeah, for sure. I mean, his ERA is approaching 10 at this point, so um was uh, a long time coming for, for Josh Tomlin. So hopefully Plutko can show uh, that he can stick around at that number five spot. Uh, I know they have a number of 
options that could slide in uh, for that starters role. Uh, in regards to Trevor Bauer, I, the, Chris, there are 162 games. Um, obviously, Indians aren't going to win all of them. They haven't won all of them to date. I, I hope the Houston Astros just rock Trevor Bauer. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> The, the, the Man, that's cold, been, Bob. That's the stuff cold. He's been tweeting at them. It's just the dude is a is a it, he can pitch well, and that is about it. He can't he can't do can't mess with drones, uh, he, and he can't talk about politics, and he is an idiot when it comes to conspiracy theories. So I, I hope that they just kind of hit him in his mouth. I think he's lined up against Garrett Cole too. I think he's the one who they, they've been going at it the most. I haven't I haven't been reading all the tweets, but I, I'm pretty sure Garrett Cole was the guy he kind of called out because when he got apparently he said something about like spin rate and stuff when he gets to Houston, his spin rate and control was better because allegedly uh, Pine Tar makes that happen or something like that. So um, I, I'm not I'm not going all sciency on it like Trevor Bauer did. Uh, that's obviously a very rudimentary uh, explanation of what he said. Uh, but basically, he, he was accusing them of using pine tar or some substance and uh, uh, has, has kind of griped with baseball because they wouldn't allow him to put a substance on his hand to stop the bleeding. Remember when his stitches broke open in the postseason? So, uh, you know, this this all comes back to the drone somehow as well. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it, I think it'll be fun. Uh, it would be Sunday's game. Houston has not announced their rotation yet, but but uh, my, when I saw it last, it was projected to be Garrett Cole. That'd be cool. Um, and Chris, don't apologize for your explanation. Uh, it was just as rudimentary as as Trevor Bowers. Um, I don't I don't think he identified as pine tar. He just said a substance and referring to how. Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, when they arrived in Houston, all of a sudden started pitching uh, at a higher velocity. So, uh, you know, he's the most scientific pitcher in baseball, so maybe he's onto something. But uh, I don't know. Uh, dude, just like I'm all for athletes having lives outside of their sport, but I mean, you, you have to be intelligent and like con- contribute to society if you're going to spew nonsense on Twitter. And you're hardcore today, Bob. This is kind of crazy. But um, I will say one thing. Well, you brought up Justin Verlander. Uh, Robinson Cano tested positive for, for a banned substance and got a big ban. And just, Justin Verlander tweeted something out about Cano. He was like, Andy, excuse in three, two, one. So so he took a bit of a shot at Cano, which, okay, fine, understandable. Guy gets caught cheating. Uh, but uh, when you do stuff like that, man, you better you better make sure your your house is clean. And I am not accusing Justin Verlander of cheating. I'm just I just think it's you know sticking your neck out like that. Better be sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, multiple uh, athletes called out Robinson Cano. I was kind of surprised that the usually they they stay silent about him. But um, I know Verlander wasn't the only one to to make some comments. So kind of interesting. Uh, I guess we were so far removed from the PED days that majority of these guys are clean, or at least we're assuming that they're clean, so they can, uh, you know, talk about it without, uh, you know, putting their foots in their mouth when they get caught with a positive test. Maybe, um, who knows? But uh, not a love, not a lot of love for Robinson Cano in the MLB community uh, with his pending suspension. Just don't pull a Rafael Palmero. Just, just if if you want an example, go go look at Rafael Palmero and uh, see what happens when when you want to get all 
You want to put yourself out there and your, your affairs aren't in order. Again, I'm not accusing yeah. anyone of anything. I'm just saying, as someone who has no idea, you better be clean if you call someone else out. That- yeah, definitely. Well, Chris, we will now turn to some Cleveland Browns news. Uh, you knew this day was coming uh, and is coming at a, at a very interesting time. HBO will be filming their uh, annual uh, training camp documentary series Hard Knocks uh, with the Cleveland Browns. It'll be their first time uh, on the show. Chris, uh, are, are you going to watch? Uh, do you think this is going to be a distraction? Who do you think is going to be the most interesting character on Hard Knocks? That's a question for you right there. Interesting, Most interesting character on Hard Knocks. I, I, I don't even know where to begin there. There's some good candidates. Um Am I going to watch? I will probably ultimately end up watching some of it. Um, Do I think it's going to be a distraction? No. I think distraction is the most overused word in football. I think that the amount of things that actually are a distraction pale in comparison to the amount of things coaches believe are distractions. And I, 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 I just can't see how more cameras in these guys lives is a distraction when if you've ever been in a media interview situation (laughs) it's one of the most awkward crazy kind of things you'll you'll ever see with just all these recorders and cameras and stuff crammed into their face I, i just can't see how this would be more of a distraction so so no i don't buy into the whole hard knocks distraction thing if the browns go 0 and 16 again it's not because they were on hard knocks the year before i'm pretty sure that would be rated very low on this list um but but yeah to answer your question i i i don't get all hyped up over these things but at the same time i mean yeah i'll probably tune in just to see a couple of things uh i mean hard knocks some cold stuff happens sometimes they record a player getting cut and like in the moment, like he doesn't know what's going to happen or something like that. So uh, it, it, it can be pretty, you know, pretty, I, I mean, I guess they get a ton of access, so it can be pretty insightful. Um, but ultimately I don't, it doesn't move the needle for me. I don't think it's going to derail the Brown season or prevent them from getting railed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, to, to answer your question about the most interesting character, it's, it's it's a toss up between Josh Gordon, Baker Mayfield, and Jarvis Landry for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, starting on that, I mean, that wide receiving core uh, has to be uh, interesting. I could imagine yeah, even Antonio Callaway being portrayed as like a sympathetic character on this uh, season. Um, you know, ten years ago when the Bengals had that reputation for uh, ev- all their team getting arrested, they were on hard knocks, and it really sympathized a lot of the guys that that were having trouble and, and made them more human so I, I could see that wide receiving core uh, being very entertaining likewise I think Baker Mayfield would be a star and then you know Chad Thomas seems like he's got some charisma that that rookie defensive end that is also a hip-hop music producer so um, there'll be some interesting uh, characters for sure uh, on this Cleveland Browns duration uh iteration of hard knocks and uh to describe the what is portrayed uh insightful is the word i would say it's brutal man (laughs) like uh they they do get uh live 
reactions of players being informed that they're cut. I mean, they get live reactions of players being informed that they've torn their ACL for the second time and they're probably done playing football. So um, it, it is, uh, it can be quite a trip uh, when, when they are in the room at the right time. So um, I, I will certainly be watching it. I, I think I, I'm not worried about it being a, a distraction. You know, Hard Knocks uh, has been a topic when uh, collective bargaining has come up. They have, you know, changed a little bit of how teams get a, get selected and everything. But if it were truly a distraction, they wouldn't do it. They, they would find a way to, to, to not uh, get filmed if it were truly uh, ruining the, uh, a team's training camp year after year. I mean, I think this is the 12th season or 11th season that they're doing it. So Yeah, man, um, I just looked this up. I can't believe it's been on for 12 years. It was like a 2001 and 2002 season, and then it's been on every year since 07. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, so like – they. They would know, and they would have complained a lot more if, like, it were if it were ruining a team's chances to to be successful. So, it'll be entertaining, it'll be insightful, and I think that, um, you know, it comes at a good time. Like the, these Browns are are hopeful. These Browns uh, look to be very much more improved. So, it, it can serve as a good way to to get re excited, re energized uh, about a team that has won one game in two years. Yeah, the only year, obviously, it didn't air but since 2007 was the, the 2011 labor-shortened year, or the lockout, kind of. The labor dispute affected yeah. their ability to shoot it. Yeah. But I couldn't. I, I looked up the Wikipedia page. I could not believe it was 12 seasons long. I thought this thing just started like four years ago. I, I Honestly, that's, that's when I first started hearing about it. And, man, it's crazy. Time flies, man. Yeah. Well, two people who will not be on Hard Knocks are on this podcast. Uh, so thank you all for listening. We, you will not see us in the uh, HBO show, but we will be back next week with a recap of the Cleveland Cavaliers' hopeful trip to the NBA Finals in the bag. It's going to be great. I think they're going to pull it out. I picked Cavs in six. I think, Bob, you were also there with me, Cavs in six. So hopefully two teams, our prediction will come come true and uh, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers will uh, make it back to the NBA Finals. But until then, you can catch up on all our old episodes of Clee Talk at FenleyRoadSports.com. We thank you for listening. You can catch us on social media. Just search Fenley Road Sports, Twitter or Instagram. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, search Fenley Road Sports in iTunes, click Clee Talk, and hit subscribe. It's just that simple. Those icons are also in the upper right-hand corner of our home website, FenleyRoadSports.com. Uh, thank you for listening to Clee Talk. Listen to our old episodes. We'll be back next week for more Cleveland Sports Talk. And until then, go Cavs and go Adam Plutko. Get another win. I would love to see him get to 2-0. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.